My guest today is Kristen Comella. She is the Chief Science Officer of U.S. Stem Cell, and she is a world-renowned expert on regenerative medicine with a focus on adipose tissue-derived stem cells, not the controversial ones, folks, the ones we get from our backside. <laughs> she was named number 24 on Terrapin's list of the top 50 global stem cell influencers and number one on the Academy of Regenerative Practices list of top 10 stem cell innovators. Mrs. Comella has pioneered stem cell therapies from various sources including cord blood, bone marrow, muscle and adipose tissue. She led the team that gained the first ever FDA approval for a clinical trial using a combined cell and gene therapy product in the heart. In addition to advanced cell culturing experience, her repertoire includes managing the development, manufacturing, and quality systems of cellular products. She has developed a wide range of regenerative techniques and products that have now been successfully implemented into the clinic setting. Her professional experience includes positions at several companies, including U.S. Stem Cell, Stem Logics, Tulane University, and Osiris Therapeutics. Last week at the Pasadena Convention Center, I met Kristen at the Bulletproof Conference, and today we get to have an in-depth discussion about what it is that is making stem cells so popular today. So welcome, Kristen Comella, stem cell scientist. I'm excited to learn about this topic. It seemed all the buzz at the Bulletproof Conference last weekend. So welcome. Yeah, so regenerative medicine really is kind of a new branch of medicine, and I think there is a lot of excitement uh, from the general public to learn about how they might integrate some of these uh, different therapies into their life. The idea is that all of us are made up of stem cells, and the main purpose of the stem cells inside our body is to maintain and heal tissue where they reside. Uh, for example, if you went to the gym and you did a bunch of squats, the stem cells that lay beneath the muscle would be responsible to come out and repair any torn muscle that you would have gotten while at the gym. And this is why after you, you get the damage, you can actually have stem cells repairing and helping to build new muscle. Uh, so what we can do in a regenerative type therapy is isolate your stem cells from one location and relocate them to another location where you might need some extra help repairing tissue. Okay, so well, let's back this up a little bit because I think a lot of people in their mind when they think of stem cells, they think of some of the controversy surrounded some of the earlier studies that were done with stem cells when they were using embryonic tissue. Can you go through the, a little bit of history of where we were and where we are now? Yeah, so there are a variety of different types of stem cells. Um, and oftentimes what we hear about in the media associated with the controversy are the embryonic cells. And so these are the cells that can be obtained after gestation. When the egg and the sperm come together, uh, there's a cluster of cells that are formed that can be isolated, and those are embryonic cells. Those cells have the ability to form any cell or tissue inside the body. These are called pluripotential stem cells. Um, the next type of stem cells are adult stem cells. These are cells that can be obtained from uh, an adult in a variety of different types of tissue. They can be obtained from uh, fat, bone marrow, teeth, even skin. Uh, different types of tissue have these cells. Uh, these are not involved at all with the destruction of an embryo and so don't have the same ethical or political concerns 
associated with them. And in fact, adult stem cells are also including things like cord blood and uh, amniotic tissue. Those are considered adult stem cells and, again, have nothing to do with the destruction of an embryo. Um, To date, there have actually been more human treatments using adult stem cells than embryonic. Uh, right now, most of the embryonic stem cells are only in research and have not really been applied uh, to human applications. There's only been a handful of clinical studies. Um, and when you think about it, we've been using adult stem cells to treat cancer patients in the form of a bone marrow transplant for decades. Uh, so there's quite a bit of research surrounding these adult stem cell type tissues, and they don't have those same ethical concerns um, that we sometimes hear about in the press. Now, there is a third type of stem cell called an induced pluripotential stem cell, or an IPS cell. And these cells are obtained from an adult cell that is then de-differentiated to act like or behave an embryonic stem cell. Um, and, and these, again, have not been used on, on patients either. The, the first person treated with an, adult, with an IPS stem cell uh, occurred a couple years ago in Japan, and it was for macular degeneration, but um, has not really been used uh, on a a wide scale. So uh, when we talk about most of the stem cell treatments that we're hearing about in the media and patients getting treated, these are adult stem cells, and they're not associated uh, with those ethical concerns. Okay. Even the IP cells that you just mentioned, are those associated with ethical concerns? No, because these are obtained from an, an adult cell as well. They're just behaving like an embryonic stem cell. Now, when you think about most of the diseases that we want to treat, the goal is to create new healthy tissue. Um, And so adult stem cells are going to be appropriate for most of these indications. And it may not be necessary to to get a stem cell that's going to be more pluripotential in nature or embryonic in nature. Um, And an adult stem cell may be appropriate for just about any disease and or injury that we're trying to treat. So did, um, did all the treatment centers that are now doing stem cell procedures, did they just kind of crop up recently or how long have they been in formation? It seems like there's a, you know, an, like a flood <laughs> lately that I didn't know was there. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so probably um, a decade or so ago, you started to hear about people offering different kinds of stem cell treatments outside the country and patients leaving the country to obtain some of these treatments. Over the last five or so year, we began to see an increase in clinics within the United States utilizing some of these different techniques. Now, one of the things uh, that limits us in the U.S. is the current FDA law. So what happens is that any procedure that is done during the same surgical procedure, meaning a patient would come in, fat or bone marrow is removed, the cells from that tissue is taken and then administered back to that same patient all during the same procedure. Um, This is under an exemption clause, which is part of the medical boards and not part of the FDA. So this is how most clinics are operating inside the U.S. Once cells are taken to a laboratory and manipulated in some way, either grown and expanded in the lab or um, changed with gene expression, et cetera, these now become a drug which would be regulated by the FDA. So some of those therapies can be done outside the country but not inside the country. So most of the clinics that we've seen popping up over the past five or so years are the ones that are doing the same surgical procedure, and those would be regulated under the medical license of the practitioner. 
Oh, okay. So they, in a way, did they find a workaround? Is that what you think happened? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think um, although physicians have been doing tissue-based treatments for many years, for example, um, physicians can do fat grafting or skin grafts. These would all be considered tissue-based and even regenerative-based therapies. So um, there is some precedent for that going on in clinic and for physicians uh, kind of being experts in surgical type procedures. Okay. So if, well, I want to back up and ask one quick question. It might be not, not totally related, but bone marrow transplant, have there been advances in those where the success rate is now higher because of all the work that the field is doing in stem cell research? Um, so the, the early stages of bone marrow transplant, uh, from 1939 to 1969, there were about uh, 200 documented cases. 150 or so of those first 200 patients actually died. Um, and that was because at that point they didn't know about HLA typing, uh, meaning to make sure that there wouldn't be rejection. Uh, so the field has advanced from that time point just because of uh, matching and, and typing that can go on to make sure that, that the patient won't get graft-versus-host disease or, you know, uh, some sort of rejection when those samples are used. Um, what might actually make more sense for bone marrow transplantation is to utilize a, a specific type of cell that's present in the bone marrow and or the fat called the mesenchymal stem cell, which will not elicit an immune rejection or an immune response even in non-matched patients. So that may be the direction that the field will go, although that's not, that's not happening yet. Um, so I think those are some of the advances that we may see. Now, the other thing that has improved in that space as, as far as cancer treatments goes, um, you know, the, the test and the, the available banks to do the test, uh, in other words, registries where these samples are stored, have increased. So there's a lot more availability of different tissues and uh, opportunity to find matches. Has there been something that has spurred people's interest in donating their bone marrow uh, to to health research, or what, what's caused the increase, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that you do hear about that. Now, that's not uh, really our space. That's, that's not what we do. We deal always with autologous treatments, meaning we get samples from the same patient. So, um, you know, we're not doing a lot of uh, donated-type samples, uh, but, you know, there are a tremendous amount of banks at this point that, that offer that opportunity. Good news. Good news to share. Thank you. Okay, so, well, let's just take, let's talk about what types of diseases can be treated with this, and then a little bit about what a patient might experience, or what types of patients would consider this as a treatment. It's, it seems to me a pretty wide range of issues. Like, I got an ache and pain over here, and, you know, you sure. throw some stem cells in there, and they walk out feeling better. I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so the concept is any um, tissue that has damage to it, and this can be either from a de degenerative disease or from an injury. Um, the stem cells could potentially help that tissue to uh, function more normally or for to regain some of the function that has been lost. Uh, so we treat a variety of different indications at this point in our clinic, everything from neurological conditions, which might include MS, Parkinson's, ALS, even spinal cord injuries, um, to different degenerative diseases like lung disease, heart disease, uh, kidney or diabetes, um, to orthopedic concerns, osteoarthritis, uh, or injuries in the back or degenerative disc disease, 
to autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, colitis, scleroderma, um, and all of these things are associated with tissue that is having damage. And by harnessing stem cells from one location and relocating them where we need them, uh, we can help to reverse some of that damage that is going on. Um, because these stem cells are obtained from the patient themselves, uh, there's no rejection like there would be if you were using a donor or no possibility of rejection. And based on the patients that we've treated so far, we've done over 6,000 cases. Uh, we have a very strong safety profile, uh, very few adverse events associated with these treatments, and we've had some very positive uh, efficacy reported, and, and we've even published uh, several different indications demonstrating that these cells can be successful. Now, there is, uh, I suppose, a lack of a large double-blind placebo-controlled trial in the field, uh, but the problem is when double-blind placebo-controlled trials are done, this is mostly done on drugs that pharmaceutical companies would fund the trial because at the end they can sell a drug that would be bottled. Uh, there is no drug that can be sold at the end of this procedure because these are stem cells from the patient themselves. So there's nobody to fund these large trials. So of course it would be nice to have a large double-blind placebo-controlled trial for every indication that we're interested in treating, um, but it's not realistic. And unfortunately patients don't have the luxury of time to wait for funding to become available for them to study whether or not stem cells would be helpful in their specific indication. Uh, so this must be viewed more like a surgical procedure, and surgical procedures do not go through double-blind placebo-controlled trials. So the way this works is a, a patient would come in and we make a very tiny incision. It's, a, it's about the size of a pinky nail. And uh, we do this to apply some numbing solution just below the skin. The numbing solution includes a mixture of lidocaine and saline, which can help to break up the fat tissue and also provide some numbing so that the patient is comfortable. The patient remains awake during the whole procedure. There's no general anesthesia, which is nice, so you don't have any of the risks associated with general anesthesia. After the area is numb, we then can remove a small sample of fat tissue. Typically, we're taking about 60 cc's of fat, which is about the size of a stick of butter. Uh, then... Um, and, and, in fact, it's such a small amount that they won't even notice a difference. So there's no aesthetic change uh, because it's a very small <laughs> they amount. They don't get the byproduct of weight loss with no. this procedure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, although everyone requests take a little extra while you're in there. Sure, why um, not? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, after we remove the fat, we can then process the fat uh, to obtain the cells of interest. So we will first digest the tissue using special enzymes and then centrifuge the tissue because the cells of interest uh, exist in a different density than the cells that we want to get rid of. So we get rid of the fat cells, and then we keep something called the stromal vascular fraction. The stromal vascular fraction includes a mixture of cells, such as mesenchymal stem cells, hematopoietic stem cells, endothelial and progenitor cells, um, and a few other cells that have different growth factors and proteins associated with them. Those cells can then be combined either with saline or with platelet-rich plasma, which is something that can be obtained from the blood, uh, which, again, has a mixture of different growth factors and platelets associated with it, which can help to promote healing, and then put back into that same patient depending on the indication. So if a patient has uh, an issue with their knee, they're having knee pain because they've got arthritis, uh, we would inject directly into the knee with an intraarticular injection, um, and patients can 
in many cases become pain-free or with less pain, better range of motion, um, and potentially get some additional cartilage growth. Very interesting. So you're basically taking a person's fat. That's where you're getting their stem cells from? Yeah, our preference is to do fat tissue. It turns out that the fat is one of the most plentiful sources of stem cells inside the body. We can get about 500 times more stem cells from fat than we can from bone marrow, and it's a very easy source to obtain. Uh, Minimal risks associated with it, and it's a well-established protocol uh, in the medical community at this point. So, uh, wow, that's interesting. So who knew? I mean, how, how long ago did you find out the better, the better bounty was in the fat? Yeah, the original methods to get cells from fat were pioneered in the 60s. Uh, there were two scientists, Rod Bell and Jones, who were studying protein pathways and had no idea that what they were collecting would later be referred to as liquid gold uh, and that the cells coming out of that fat tissue would, would be uh, essentially used for, for many different indications. The reason is that the cells are very angiogenic in nature, which means that they can help produce new blood vessel supply. Um, And when you think about most degenerative diseases have to do with a lack of blood flow. So applying cells that can help to produce more blood flow uh, means better healing for the patients and a better recovery of damaged tissue. So what would the long-term results be then? It sounds to me like maybe that might, the procedure might increase the blood flow and then it might wane off and you need to do it again is is a do you should should a patient count on repetition for this type of recovery through this method it really depends on the indication so for some indications especially orthopedics uh, one dose will get the patient where they want to be if a patient is a more severe orthopedic case like they're bone on bone uh, we can still get recovery uh, but this may require multiple injections Um, especially for patients that have uh, more severe injuries like a spinal cord injury or different diseases like um, MS or Parkinson's, we would typically recommend repeat dosing. Uh, And the ability to come back and do multiple doses can help us to uh, improve outcomes and reduce some of the symptoms associated with those diseases. Okay. So how are, now are, you're a scientist. Um, are you required to be a physician to treat patients? How does this work? Yes, absolutely. So uh, in our clinic, we have several physicians uh, that we work with, um, and these uh, range from general practitioners uh, to specialists, uh, you know, depending on the indication. For example, when we're treating uh, issues in the brain, we want to uh, do what's called an intrathecal delivery, which means we do an injection in the lower portion of the back into the spinal cord fluid to allow the cells to cross the blood-brain barrier. So we work with an anesthesiologist and pain management specialist uh, to make sure that these cells are going exactly where we want them to go. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about U.S. Stem Cell. How long have you been in existence and where are you located? Our company was founded in 1999. We treated our first patient in 2001 uh, and we began in cardiac indications. We were dealing mostly with congestive heart failure and our company was previously known as BioHeart. Um, The clinic location where we are now, we've been in this location for uh, just over two years, and um, we have treated more than 6,000 patients at this point. Uh, So we're hoping over the next year or so to open about five more locations that are similar to our location here in Florida. We're in South Florida. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Well, so because there was some there was some connection that you had to Regenerative Medicine Institute in Tijuana. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yes. So they were using our protocols and our process. In addition to having our own clinic, we also have a training program where we can teach other doctors to utilize our uh, our process and our kits for doing these processes. Uh, so they were one of our trained facilities that also implemented some of these techniques. We've trained over 600 physicians worldwide, so we have clinics um, throughout the world utilizing our techniques. Okay, so a pioneer in the field, if you would say. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right, so what did you go and study to become a scientist for this type of thing, and, and did you know your career would lead you to stem cells? Yeah, so my degrees are in chemical engineering and biomedical engineering, uh, but in graduate school started working quite a bit uh, with a technique called magnetic cell sorting, uh, which is where you take nanoparticle magnets and tag it to cells and then can separate the cells based on the proteins they express. So became very interested in some of the proteins that are expressed by uh, different types of stem cells and how we can uh, then separate those cells and, and put them down different pathways um, and then potentially apply those to patients. Uh, I then worked for a startup company called Osiris Therapeutics, where we were focused on using bone marrow-derived cells for uh, meniscal regeneration in the knee. Um, and that company ended up selling a lot of the stem cell intellectual property to a company called Mesoblast, uh, which is based out of Australia. Uh, I then worked for Tulane University and ran the what's called GMP facility for growing stem cells uh, as part of the Center for Gene Therapy at Tulane. And uh, our main goal there was to do spinal cord injury patients uh, with bone marrow stem cells. And I've now been with U.S. Stem Cell, which was formerly called BioHeart, for 12 years. Uh, so uh, really pioneered some of um, the world's treatments for a variety of different indications. Um, and uh, we've been quite successful in implementing these into the clinic. Okay, good. All right. So now what are you seeing with these procedures the most success? So if somebody is just chronic pain or actual, you know, severe heart damage, what are, what are some of the ones where you see the most success? Sure. So I would say that the most common procedures that we do are in orthopedics. So this is going to be, you know, knee injections, shoulder injections. Um, and we've had success with patients that are more chronic, like osteoarthritis, bone-on-bone, bone. and we've also had success with patients that have injuries, ACL issues, meniscal issues, um, and uh, we've been able to repair patients that are even a full tear, uh, which I think five years ago uh, surgeons would say is not possible. Uh, so these are the type of things that we're seeing in orthopedics. Our second most common indication that we treat is COPD, which is a lung disease. And uh, we've had some wonderful success and even published a paper with regards to COPD demonstrating that patients can improve their breathing function. They can come off of some of their oxygen requirements and resume more normal living uh, after having received the treatment. Um, the third most common indication that we're treating are some of the neurological conditions. Uh, these tend to be more challenging and sometimes more severe patients. Uh, but we've had patients who were wheelchair-bound uh, now walking. 
So we do tend to see the more miraculous type results on the neurological conditions, even though they are the more challenging cases. Fascinating. Now, does age become a factor when extracting stem cells from fat? Uh, You know, possibly. Uh, Certainly there is a shortening of telomeres as you age, uh, but we have successfully obtained stem cells from patients in their 90s. So uh, we like to say if you're alive, you still have stem cells. And in fact, if you didn't have stem cells, you could probably only live for about an hour. So we don't consider any patient too old for treatment. Oh, good to know, because I'm sitting here thinking my grandmother, who has bone on bone, could probably consider this as an option. She's really, honestly, too old to do surgery. Yeah, that's exactly right. It really is a good option for patients who are not candidates for surgery that would require the general anesthesia. Um, And because this is just a local, uh, it is an excellent option for those patients. Oh, good news. Okay, so where do you see the, well, let me, before we go to the future of this medicine, I would like to know a little bit about costs and insurance and how that's overlaying through reimbursement strategies for these procedures. So at this time, uh, they're not covered by insurance. So these are cash-based procedures. The typical range is uh, anywhere from 3500 to 12000 uh, kind of depending on which clinics you go to and the area that you're in, and also what type of procedure you get done. So your joint injections are going to be less expensive than your back injections, for example. Um, so, uh, you know, it just kind of really depends what you're getting done. I mean, I, I just think that it's probably going to be several years before uh, there is insurance reimbursement. Um, and uh, when you consider, for example, a knee replacement surgery, you're going to have deductibles associated with that and also several other out-of-pocket expenses, uh, physical therapy, downtime, et cetera, uh, paying cash for this type of procedure may end up costing you a very similar amount and no downtime. So patients can resume their normal activities the very next day and uh, go about their regular routine. Uh, The only restrictions the week after the treatment are uh, no submersion in water. In other words, no swimming or bathing, but regular showers are fine and no alcohol or cigarettes for a week. Seems like a good plan. (laughs) Um, Okay, so it's interesting to me that a lot of these things are, well, the pain reduction. I mean, you could, gosh, the cost savings alone and productivity for that is huge. And yet the procedures aren't, you know, looked at as reimbursable yet. Is Is that an exhaustive process? Is that one that you take on as a clinic or how does that get managed? Um, You know, I actually think what will happen is in other countries uh, with different types of health care insurance and and, um, methods will begin to cover these procedures, and then it will kind of get grandfathered in in the U.S. because other countries will start to adopt it first. Uh, I think it's a challenge to get things uh, approved at this point. Uh, for, for reimbursement, and it's not something that, that our clinic has taken on personally. Okay. And so one of the other things I'm curious is, is are there applications in aesthetics, and is that more popular than some of the other more um, health-related issues? Sure. Yeah, so there's something called a stem cell facelift uh, where you can take the stem cells plus some of the patient's fat tissue and inject it like a filler. This can be done either in the face, the breast, or a gluteal enhancement. Um, These are more natural approach to uh, 
you know, enhancing the area and can tend to last a little bit longer than your traditional fillers in the face. Um, and, uh, you know, patient outcomes are, are very uh, nice. You know, they, they, they're aesthetically pleasing without kind of the unnatural doesn't move or pulled skin type look from some of the more traditional aesthetic procedures. And are those becoming more popular? Are there clinics that are specializing in that? Or do you find that every There are. Clinic... We, we do some of these type of procedures. Uh, it's not our main focus. Uh, we tend to treat more sick patients than uh, the aesthetics. But, uh, yes, patients do request it. And I think it's because patients are interested in a more natural approach without putting some of the toxins into their body. Yeah, yeah. Well, so as the outcomes results come in and people are starting to see you know, those clinics that are having better outcomes. Do you find that people will travel for these procedures? And is that something yeah, somebody we, can fly from here to there and get a procedure in Florida, maybe at a better yeah, cost absolutely. and a better outcome? We, yeah, we have patients coming literally from all over the world. Uh, uh, for example, both the patients that we did this afternoon uh, traveled from outside the state, one uh, from Kentucky and another one from Colorado. So people literally come to us. Uh, from all over. And typically they'll stay one night uh, and fly back the next day. So they do not have to be within your care as, you know, like a general practitioner for any period of time to come and see you. Exactly. Okay. So what do you see the future of this medicine? It's fascinating, you know, how fast it's progressed. Where is it going? Yeah, I think we're going to start to see not only people getting these therapies for specific diseases, but also for general anti-aging. Uh, so myself, uh, I actually get a stem cell treatment IV every 6 to 12 months uh, just to keep inflammation down. And I think this will be the type of thing that you see in the future, that patients will get their regular stem cell dose just to keep them useful. Interesting. And what, what, can I ask you personally, if you don't mind revealing, what that was like? You had inflammation. Was it causing pain or what? What were you looking to alleviate? I have no alleviate? specific uh, issue, just uh, wanting to stay young and figured that any given moment, I've got inflammation inside my body, so why not utilize my stem cells? And I certainly have access to them, so uh, take advantage. And I also think as a pioneer in, in a field trying to, to do new therapies for patients, uh, I always want to try something on myself before I tell a patient it's a good idea. Ah, interesting. So where do you inject the I just want to feel good and youthful injection site? How do you choose that? Yeah, so uh, usually I'm doing IV, uh, which allows just a systemic approach. So once the cells are circulating in my body, I, I allow them to go where I need them. So you you feel like the cells find their way to the place they need to do their work? Yeah, so the cells are naturally going to home to areas of inflammation. So that's the good news. They're, they're smart cells. I don't have to tell them where to go. My body tells them where I need them. Holy moly. And do you, can you give us some anecdotal interests um, of what you felt after you had it done immediately? Yeah, so typically after I get an IV, I feel increased energy. I often sleep better. My skin quality is improved uh, and, and in some cases increased libido. Huh, okay. All sorts of good reasons to look into this for sure. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much. We're drawing down on our time. You were so generous to share with us. Can you tell us a little bit about what came out of the Bulletproof Conference and what people were most interested in when they stopped by your booth? Yeah, you know, it was just a really wonderful conference uh, to see many ideas on how to biohack um, and how regenerative medicine and stem cell therapy fits into that. Uh, we had a lot of individuals coming to the booth telling us about different indications that they would like to pursue 
whether these were joint injuries or uh, we had a person who had recently had, her mother had a stroke and uh, was interested in the stem cells for the brain. Um, so you just see a lot of different applications and uh, no matter what conference we go to, there are patients that need this help. Yeah, and, and you have this easy solution. So the brain, are you injecting into the brain often or is that being regulated? How is that being done? Yep, so we do something called the intrathecal delivery. That's where we inject into the lower portion of the back into the spinal cord fluid, and that allows the cells to travel across the blood-brain barrier. Oh, fascinating. Well, Krista, Camila, thank you so much. I am so grateful you took the time to explain this to us. If somebody wanted to do a little more research, certainly they could go to usstemcell.com, right? Uh, it's usstemcellclinic.com. Okay. And what are some other sources that you might suggest people to go look into this a little deeper to see if it's something good for them? Yeah, uh, so certainly at the website and also on the resource page of the website, there's a lot of different videos that can be viewed um, that just talk about regenerative medicine and show some of the different slides about stem cells and where they can be obtained and, and the different processes. Very, very cool. Thank you so much. Oh, and the last thing I noticed from your website is that they do this for pets as well, correct? That's right. We actually have a vet division called Vet Biologics, and we treat uh, a lot of horses and also pets at the home, dogs, cats, uh, and even recently a pet skunk. (laughs) Fascinating, fascinating. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Real People OC. I really appreciated meeting you at the conference and love the information you had to share. Okay, thank you. Okay, we will pause for a short break, and then we'll be up next with our next interview from another biohacker from the Bulletproof Conference.